0: Hello, today I'm back at it, surfacing real-world information on artificial intelligence and machine learning. Hot topics for sure, but still there's much uncertainty on the practical use cases. Further, many AI and data companies are seeing huge potential in co-creation efforts with customers and partners. But is this translating into a democratized AI ML future? Of course, AI and big data tools are very important, but they need to be purpose-built so they can cut through the jargon that many see out there with practical reusable components that will equip the right people with the right tools. So it's my pleasure to be chatting today with Peter Lee, CEO of Miner. We will dive into many of these areas and discover more about Miner along the way, and what to look out for in the future of AI. So stay tuned. Well, hello, Peter. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. It's a pleasure to be chatting with you and to dive in a bit more about uh, Rapid Miner and some exciting things going on in the world of AI. But uh, hey, before we get started, I was wondering if you could just do a brief introduction of yourself and. Uh, Maybe dive in a bit to kind of what were the initial premise behind uh, Rapid Miner and kind of why it got started.
1: Sure. What a pleasure, Aaron, to um, to be invited to talk with you today. Um, yeah. So my name is Peter Lee, and um, I'm the uh, chief executive of Rapid Miner, and I was fortunate to um, be invited in to help coach the team. Um, I joined actually the founders, the founder, and really. Um, one of the co-founders, but really the, the principal founder is Ingo Mirsbaugh, Dr. Ingo Mirsbaugh, a fantastic guy. And I'll tell you, the premise is fascinating. He is, I think, one of the world's foremost machine learning researchers. And he wrote a paper, a really seminal paper on the applications of machine learning and real world use cases. And okay. um, uh, a, one of the major European telecom companies picked up on his research and said, hey, we have some real issues with predicting churn of our customers. And we'd love to have you come in and see if your machine learning models could make a difference. And of course, anyone who has a mobile phone knows that you can churn because 17 of your family and friends moved to a different carrier, or you have terrible yep. call quality on your mm-hmm. at office or home, or you're really incentivized by a competing, you know, pricing and package right. amount. So one issue is can you predict it? The other issue is, can you predict it in time to do anything about it? And yet another issue is the prescriptive recommendation. What would you offer this person to profitably retain them, right? So those are some interesting things. And to to make a long story short, um, Ingo did a great job in all three areas. He back-tested the model. It blew people away. And there was a meeting immediately organized. This is after about six or seven months of really kind of diving in and. And he had done this all through coding. he done he'd hand coded this um, this analysis, wow. yeah. and it was so impactful. It could save them so many tens of millions of euros. There was almost like a, um, a almost like an amphitheater seating type of conference room mm-hmm. where you know, head of the business, head of IT, advanced analytics experts, and so forth came, and they asked Ingo, Ingo, can you please explain how you're outperforming us by so much? And he literally had no choice but to turn the projector on and to begin displaying 30,000 lines of code. And so now you know how the meeting went, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so kind of, uh, you know, he, it was his first lesson and really that, you know, solving the math isn't really the issue, explainable AI, interpretable exactly. AI. Really, um, and so he wished at the time afterwards, he said, gee, I really wish there was a software program where I could have shown them like a visual, whiteboard where I could have done a, a visual abstraction of the data that I merged and transformed mm-hmm. the types of algorithms that I ran against the data, why these algorithms outperformed and then you know how easy it would be to deploy this into downstream business applications and so forth. And so when it was clear that there was no such software product, it became a labor of love. And he got together with his co-founder, Ralph Klinkenberg, and the two of them shared many Um, much the same idea that a lot of data science is highly iterative, um, and uh, they could produce a kind of visual chalkboard, if you will, and they did, and they released it as open source, and the rest is kind of history, and that's how RapidMiner got started. Now, we've helped convert their vision from an open source project to really a commercial Enterprise-grade right. software company with mm-hmm. very strong roots. We still have tremendous roots in academia because that's really where all the innovation in the machine learning space is coming from.
0: What I really liked about that that story is is something that I emphasize a lot is is the always the practical use of these technologies. A lot of times, many people get lost in the jargon or the buzzwords of that, and when they you can see in the output and the real practical use case of AI and the machine learning behind it and I'm drowning in data. I can't make sense of it. Absolutely, <laughs> to, your, to your point of, uh, and then out the output of that of making decisions quickly from it, I think is the real business value. Is because otherwise uh, you could have all the machine learning and AI models in the world, but if it's not purpose built towards your industry or uh, what your uh, your goals are, then your output could be meaningless. You know, you got to have that. That's abso- built. that's absolutely
1: right, Aaron. That's a terrific observation. In fact. You know, I think there's depending on you know, the, the, the type of study or the research, but it's, I think it's a widely accepted fact that you know, less than 10% of models that are created that could have an impact aren't deployed in production. And so there's, that really speaks to some of these challenges about um, changing culture, change in business process, Um, getting multiple constituencies to buy in to um, and understand. So, you know, the whole concepts of explainable AI. I think there's also, frankly, I think if we step back and, you know, kind of maybe elevate the conversation to just the journey that most companies are on, they're on some form of digital transformation journey. Mm -hmm. And so I think as part of that journey, you know, certainly where we focus a great deal of our time is in data literacy, is in upskilling really, Upskilling the people, so it's not just that AI can be explained, but there are competitive skills internal to the organizations that they can understand that and take advantage of it, right? So that's a process, Um, and I think that that process is moving very fast. By the way, but it is a process.
0: Well, there's two key points I'd love to to hone in on. You brought up is uh, first the word journey. A lot of people think they once they put something in place, a solution or a process in place. Hey, great. I, I've got it in place. We're, we're humming along, but they need to realize that it's a continual journey, a continual evolution that needs to take place, not just a goalpost that you go to and, and that's it. Otherwise, you're going to fall fast behind uh, yeah. either your competition or innovations that could have taken place or potential revenue streams for that organization because they're seeing the outcomes of that data and those uh, AI models, of, you know, in the practical sense, like we already mentioned. So, uh, and then uh, the, other, the other piece is that um, I, I liked uh, the fact that uh, it, there was a recent partnership you guys had with BrainCube. And what I liked, it was the more purpose built towards like manufacturing in this instance around, uh, you know, surfacing that information that's, that's real, real practical in a manufacturing sense because it impacts, you know, real things people make you can hold in your hand a lot of times yeah and and uh what i loved was was the um it's almost like you're aligning the the digital and the physical space if you think about it Um, Absolutely.
1: Absolutely.
0: uh, go ahead i I was just wondering if you could kind of uh, partners. yeah they're terrific
1: partners they're they're, what a special organization they are and Mm -hmm. um and their founders all of them of course we know um there, there's a really complementary um, joint value proposition. And we kind of, we got connected interestingly because there were several clients who had independently selected each of us and were deploying oh, okay. us. yeah. And then kind of, you know, those efforts began to merge. And um, and it's so fascinating when, you know, one plus one equals five, you know, and I oh. think that's the spirit of the partnership is to, mm-hmm. to be able to do a lot more. Um, but you know they are very focused on really helping to break down data silos, to really present um, decision support information in a unified um, framework, and to make that very, very actionable to the key manufacturing personas that can take that action on the shop floor, plant managers, quality managers, and so forth. Um, and we're very focused on extending that information and really making it um, super easy to build predictive and prescriptive applications, right? So as we talked about, to be able to take that information and then be able to to build that into, um, game-changing business transformation. And so we extend um, their capabilities much deeper. Now they have some um, obviously uh, uh, predictive capabilities, we also have some of the breaking down data silos, but this is like peanut butter and jelly, you know, Aaron. Right. Yeah. you have them separately, but they taste better together, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and I think that that's kind of you know the spirit of the partnership. We each have our strengths um, and we complement each other tremendously. So that's that's just one example. You know so mm-hmm. in the manufacturing sector, I think you you asked you know kind of some others, but you know we work with great partners like um, WiPro. We're doing some fantastic work on, in the oil and gas sector. Um, really thinking about, um, you know, next-gen improvement of um, efficiencies. We do work with um, EY globally in the financial, in the forensic and integrity services. So Mm -hmm. that covers a lot of risk management and cyber and so forth. They're a terrific partner. We have um, partners like IQVIA in the Mm -hmm. life sciences space. that are just tremendous. And so I think it's fair to say there isn't a nook or cranny, you know, and financial services happens to be our single largest sector. Um, oh, yeah. so there isn't really <laughs> a, a nook or cranny and right. that can't benefit from, you know, I would say advanced analytic techniques and capabilities. You talked about drowning in data. What a great mm-hmm. phrase. That's that's something we use a lot around here mm-hmm. that our clients use a lot with us.
0: Mm-hmm. And something you touched on a moment ago, and I wanna tie into some of these industries is that, that it, obviously the explainable AI, but it's explainable in the language of the industry. And what I mean by that is you gotta have those industry experts that can speak that language of that industry. Cause every industry has its own nomenclature and how they speak their acronyms and so forth, but they also have their own unique goals and purposes. And if they don't have uh, purpose built uh, models and understanding of the data for that specific industry, not only would you be drowning in data, but you'd be drowning in unnecessary data or not necessary insights. Like you mentioned a while ago was about 10% of really things pushed into production. So this speaks highly of if you have that purpose-built industry focus that speaks the language and then further explains the AI. And then to tie it even further, you touched on that persona. Uh, that's something we, we highlight a lot is it's cutting through the buzzwords of say AI and ML but speak the language not only of the industry, but the persona of the person. So say you're in the manufacturing, but you're the CFO, you're dealing with finances. Explain it to me as a financial person, the output of AI, how it impacts me in my role in this manufacturing industry, but also can I have an intelligent conversation with my peers in operations, or even like a CIO in in the technology area or other lines of business to where they have those overlapping conversations they have the same goals now and they can align their conversations better versus, and it's breaking down the silos, like you mentioned too.
1: Yeah, I think those are all good points. I think it's also, you know, because there's so much adoption of these capabilities in, you know, virtually every sector globally, I think it's also important not to get too, yes, domain language specific, but there's kind of, Everything reaches a certain layer of abstraction, right? You 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 don't need to design a particular course or get all the way down into you know the the, the very deep, 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 deep domain expert who's 15 miles deep and 15 centimeters wide. Well and it has a, to be there has to be that flexibility. We're in. I don't think we yeah. need to get to that level, right? So I yeah. I do think that you know our experience in this regard is that there um They're the most important thing, certainly what we spend a lot of our time doing across sectors and across personas, is really helping to your point about domain domain language, really, I would say, helping them map their business problem. You know, and I would frame their business problem and objective in driving more revenue, cutting more costs, managing risk better, driving that business desire and objective in whatever industry you feel they they have and helping them understand that you know with their with the the about their drowning and operating data how can they map data science and ai approaches to really accomplishing that outcome right so there's a mapping that's first of all which is independent almost of of right. um, of industry and then of course, as you get into, and I would frankly say there's also, you know, levels, there's kind of key personas and you can kind of imagine there's there's kind of levels at the at the C level. So that are right. really just exclusively cons, um, focused on, on business impact. Then there's the practice, the manager level that has to be mm-hmm. able to speak to the level above and still run the project. And then right. there's the actual users who might be really deep in mm-hmm. it. And I think, you know, what we found is that data science is a team sport. You know, our Rapid Miner Academy really kind of has a variety of capabilities, which is, you know, geared towards enabling all of these levels from executive Mm -hmm. to the novice. Um, And I think it's really when you can do a combination of engage in their language, plus help them map their business problem to how AI and data science techniques function and so forth, you're going to have your best, best success. You know, you get the best chance of rolling models in production when it's explainable, everyone's on board and they understand the business impact and i think you know that's a partnership that's not just a platform so you know to your point on your original message on journey you're really looking to select a traveling partner it's not a destination there's not a snapshot we've arrived in hawaii fantastic we're done it's 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 really a journey right and so you've got to look to that partnership over that journey and i think that's really both platform, you know, tooling capabilities, as well as, you know, the people and upskilling and really ensuring that competitive advantage resides very firmly inside the um, client's team.
0: Well, and that also speaks to um, that overlap we're seeing with the data scientists, but also the citizen data scientists that we're seeing. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of in that middle area, if you will, between the business and the, the, the tech, deep tech side, uh, Kind of this middle area where they can come together and have that collaborative effort um, um, to your point of, uh, of sort of the meeting of the minds but it's the meeting of the business with the technology making sense of it in a practical way using tools that are are simplistic they don't need to get way down in the weeds like a, somebody that's super technical like a data scientist but they kind of meet in the middle they understand the business side they can speak some of the tech language make sense of it all and then turn it up yeah. to to who they need to. Well,
1: those those tools exist today. I, I would right. say that those business analysts, I might call them, um, as you mm-hmm. say, citizen data scientists. They 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 would never refer to themselves that way, though. You know that. Right. So right. I think right. that in plain English, they might refer, refer to themselves as process engineers or mechanical right. engineers. Right. It's or a lot sales, of titles floating around. <laughs> Salespeople, right? In each functional yeah. department, digital marketers they might refer to themselves as. Um, you know, as human resource talent management, we see lots of different use cases. But I think that what they are looking for in a platform that helps them in this regard is there are capabilities in the data science machine learning market where, you know, people who are um, not data scientists still can enjoy tremendous insight by merging their data And by beginning to see um, where there might be patterns and areas that deserve further exploration and they can kind of take that initial insight and really delve further with other personas and begin to flesh it out and validate that. um, And in a way that preserves um, everyone's um, trust in the entire process from data to transformation, to ultimately rolling a model in production. there are there are capabilities I feel that um, you know everyone from novices to experts need to kind of come together in a unified way to to solve these vexing problems.
0: Touched on a keyword there, trust. I'd love to circle back to in a moment. Yeah. But um, uh, there's a couple of things around AI ML. We we alluded to it a bit earlier. Is that I think there's still some misconceptions that exist around AI and ML, uh, obviously cutting through the buzzwords or just the basic definition of what it was. We talked about practical use cases of it and so forth. Um, but uh, are there some misconceptions you're still seeing around AI and ML, is that they think it's, some people still think it's kind of science fiction. On the other hand, it's like, well, hey, can it do this? And you're like, well, we're not quite there yet, but eventually we could yeah.
1: be. So sure, there are science fair projects, right? I think that's mm. what you're getting at, Aaron. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> well, first of all, I think you know, I, I think it's such an it's such a great question that you pose. Um, so first of all, what I would say is that our aspiration is certainly much larger than just driving a couple extra dollars of revenue or shaving a few nickels here there. Our mission right. is to reinvent enterprise AI so that mm. anyone has the power to positively shape the future and that's how we think about our day-to-day in terms of what we're delivering here at RapidMiner. And so that is a very expansive, you know, mission and it touches on a lot of great that AI can do in a lot of different ways. Um, but you know, I think we do have to step back and I think that, you know, AI is like anything else, it's it's important that People build trust and see that the AI um, adoption is actually driving measurable, tangible outcomes. You know, and so I think it's you know kind of the combination of um, you know focusing on the what's achievable and what's really deliverable um, and tangible right now as well as working towards this greater goal of immense change. You know, I think there's a there's a reasonably well known saying from I believe it's the University of San Francisco professor that, you know, continuous innovation of the candle didn't result in electric light. Right. And so yeah. right. And so I think that we <laughs> yeah. you know, we say a lot to our, you know, to our clients when we talk about digital literacy, when we talk about our role as a partner in their upskilling and transformation, you know, if you have everyone on your team, you know, um, solely focused on horse and buggies, they ask a lot of questions like, can we get faster horses? And, you know, maybe those aren't the right questions to be asking. Right. Maybe if we could help them expand their, you know, set and aperture to embrace some of these really, you know, novel yet proven data science and machine learning um, approaches you begin asking way more interesting questions and you're shocked at how far your team can actually go and I think that is a little bit more of the answer to your question about you know kind of what AI can do it's, it's really about um, you know kind of weighing the yeah there's there's lots of room in continuous improvement for Faster horses, but there's also room for really game-changing competitive advantage breakthrough. And you know, we tend to you know have a, a I think a decent balance um, in both. And we're we're particularly proud, um, and we're very unique among all the commercial players in that um, we've been very very close to academia, where you know, I think the commercial guys are very focused on what we talked about earlier, driving revenue, cutting costs, right. managing risk better. Yet there's something like 20,000 research papers published on Miner. Many of them are exploring some of these topics, Aaron, that you, you know, greater good for humanity. And there's just some right. really interesting things that are being done on our platform that we're very proud of and that we we try and kind of curate the best techniques and approaches and certainly engage with them. I think there's um, at last count, I think just recently we just took a look, and it was something like 5,500 universities around the world are using wow. Rapid Miner. Yeah, in, that's um, amazing. Yeah, it's 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 just really encouraging mm-hmm. in some way, shape, or form to mm-hmm. enable the next generation of citizen data scientists and experts. And exactly, and that's a great you know that gives you a great sense of of the activity level and the engagement level and the enthusiasm. And I think, frankly, why. Mm-hmm. Some of your podcast touches on this, but just the the potential that could be unleashed from doing this correctly and doing this as a team. Well, one thing you mentioned about the you know horse and buggy
0: days at some point, some somebody said, "Well, what can we do if we took the horse out of the equation?" So, That's right. and then the evolution of the car. <laughs> you know, uh, so to your point, they took the horse out of the equation, evolved into the car, and. Now we still have the car and we've evolved the car up to a point where now we're trying to get autonomous cars, which drive with AI and have machine learning and all that. But back to the point of something I believe we should wholeheartedly that we shouldn't take out of the equation here is the human. It's important to have the human in the loop, but at, at, in key critical oh. stages along the way, back to your point of aligning with universities to, you never know what new uh, frontiers could be tackled with AI, in partnership with the next generation coming up that sees things in different way or have had different experiences in their life and uh, challenges they wanna overcome and thinking, how can I leverage AI to help tackle this? Uh, and you never know when that's gonna open up the doors for something brand new and in, in different either industries or um, you know uh, climate efforts or uh, oceanic efforts that are going on all over the world, like you said, 5,500 roughly uh, universities leveraging RapidMiner to see these changes they wanna impact. So I, I'm, I'm totally uh, excited about where, where the things are headed and then underneath it all, balancing that with some fairness and, and tackling some,
1: yeah.
0: you know, sometimes inherent or, or uh, unknown bias that can seep in, but tackling that up front. Having a strong framework in place to tackle that, I think really infuses that trust, like we talked about earlier. Oh, absolutely. Bias
1: is such a huge, huge topic in mm-hmm. machine learning and AI. And it's and it should be because mm-hmm. it is something that um, is a complicated subject. And it's something that we spend a lot of time, you know, thinking about and are developing some, we think some pretty unique functionality within our own. Um, platform to help customers detect um, and monitor for um, hidden bias. No doubt. No doubt. Yep.
0: Well, hey Peter, I know we're coming up against some time here, but uh, any last closing thought or takeaway for listeners and uh, thinking about sort of AI and you know big data and how we're tackling it? Just uh, this. Yeah, I think that to
1: No, totally, totally. Mm-hmm. I think that you know. Yeah, I think in, in some sense, you know, of course, big data has been tossed about and, you know, there's mm-hmm. big data. There's all kinds of data, you know, and, and I think yeah. why well, would you say that what is really cool about the world of AI is that kind of the more data, the better, you know? Yep. And so it's really yeah. repositioning organizations from this whole notion that they're drowning in data to really kind of turning that around and like, wow, what a source of competitive advantage. The more data, the, Harnessing. the better. Harnessing. Harnessing the
0: data, really. Yeah, Yeah, exactly.
1: Exactly. Mm -hmm. Really, the more, the better. The more I'm able to um, address this inevitability, the more my organization will field skills that are highly competitive, really distinct, game-breaking, game-changing, excuse me, competitive advantage. And I think that's the journey. I think the digital transformation journey is very much a journey of competitive advantage. And that Mm -hmm. will be... Using advanced analytics and data to to drive superior outcomes. Um, so that's my that's my last thought, Aaron. What a pleasure Perfect. to uh, to spend time with you today. Boy, yes. the half hour flu.
0: I know. It. Yeah. Thanks so much for taking initiative. <laughs> Thank in you so out. much, Peter. I, I appreciate the chat today and uh, look forward to hopefully some discussions in the future. Thank you so much. Absolutely. All the best.